Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. So, Harvey, that's a cool tune. Listen, I'm just, it's in a world where we have so much variety, whether it be rap music or EDM or singer-songwriter ballads, acoustic music, something happens when you kind of hear a raucous rock and roll, you know, Chuck Berry-inspired riff, even his bumper music. Yeah. It it kind of, things start jumping a bit. Yeah, and it builds. I haven't felt that way on the Rolling Stones albums, for the live thing is a different scenario. Right. I haven't felt, you know, maybe close to them uh, in the audio world, uh, I'm talking product, for a very long time. And uh, maybe I'm being, maybe I'm rejoining the fan club a bit, you know? And I guess you I, feel the same way, too. I do. And what I, what I caught myself doing was hitting replay on that tune. And I'm like... I want to hear it again. And and I, well, that's, and I, I that's been a while. I, I do want to amplify one other thing, and not because I'm a child of Hollywood, but uh, when the Stones come to town and and record in Hollywood, like some of the new record on Sunset Boulevard, at the, at the studio, right? I think a lot of people forget. Um, maybe that's my job is ex- on the expedition that literally, I don't know, 90% of their recordings from 1964 to 1967 were done on Sunset Boulevard, where a lot of the new record was done at this studio. They did a lot of their seminal albums with the producer Andrew Lou Goldham at RCA Studios, and then they did Bridges to Babylon in the same facility. And so there is the influence of Hollywood and Sunset Boulevard and I mean, I've always said that the Rolling Stones records, could you imagine if 
the the albums you cherish from 64 to 67 that little block imagine if they were recorded in new york instead of the flexibility and the environmental graphic of hollywood and sunset boulevard the the it, the setting the bioregional environment does play a part in what we eventually hear and i think some of that has seeped in this new recording you know you remind me of the conversation around the Tammy show. <laughs> well, I'm the expert on that one. I well, <laughs> believe. Yeah. So I'm going I'm to turn to you on that because I think it's still a lot of people don't know about this, um, but it still pops up a little bit like in um, in the biopic with James Brown. And, uh, you know, as legend goes, uh the the band was still in 1964 when it first toured America. They they hadn't even had a hit right on American radio. They were kind of obscure. I think didn't Bill Wyman or somebody describe it as an absolute disaster? The first tour of the yeah, United but, States. You know, there's a lot of myths about that. And listen, I was 12 years old across the street from the Santa Monica Civic Auditorium. Shut up. You know, at at a surfboard shop. I did not know what was going down. Although I sure noticed a lot of girls wearing short skirts, I was too busy with my surfer pal longboarder Peter Piper buying paraffin wax for our con surfboards. I actually had a Makaha skateboard. I uh. didn't know what was going on. But in the 50 years of reporting and interviewing everybody associated with the Tammy Show, director, producer, band members, choreographers, um, the, 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 and, you know, and Sting references it in one of his songs as well with the police. Let's just be really clear that it was a two-day shoot with a rehearsal. It was sort of, shall we say, like all Hollywood movies, because right. I've been on a lot of film sets. Um, it's shot out of sequence. And so, you know, even the order of what we we see on DVD now or on TV... That's not, with the exception of the hosts, Jan and Dean, I mean, sure, the, the, you know, the Stones, James Brown, it, the Stones had to follow James Brown, but, you know, there was an hour to wait, or there was a lot of break time to set up equipment and things like that. It, it, it isn't this situation as perceived by all of us. Right. What counts is the product that impacts us. And and the the genius work of Jack Nietzsche as the musical director of the Tammy Show. I just have been in the studio with a wonderful guitarist, Don Peak. I uh, did ten years with Ray Charles. He's on a lot of the big the Jackson Five records. He did many years with Barry White. Don Peak is in both the Tammy Show band in the orchestra. Right. He's also in the big TNT show. Um, which is kind of this sister element sister right. to the Tammy show. So I have talked extensively with these people. And, and, and last time I was on your show, we, when I was touting uh, my book on music documentaries, Rock Set Doc, you know, right. we, we, we talked about the Tammy show and, we did. and some of these things. And, and so I, I've made it a point to talk to the participants and, you know, they have their own stories. The truth is often in the middle, but it does work 
and both Mick Jagger, you know, has told the story that he actually had to, to sort of do some ministry work with James Brown when it was explained to James Brown, listen, uh, you know, you're going to be kind of, we're going to be kind of following you. And even Mick said, you know, it's kind of shot out of the sequence. It's going to be a put together project. I don't think James Brown was having any of that, but I actually think, and I've talked to Jack Nietzsche, you know, uh, the late Jack Nietzsche, extensively about the Tammy show, and he thought James Brown opening, if you want to use that term for the Rolling Stones, or them following his act. Uh, with James, it wasn't act, it was life on stage. That he thought it inspired the Rolling Stones to take it to another level, and, and, you know, for all of us as consumers, guess what? We like both of them, James Brown and the Rolling Stones and the Motown Axe and Jan and Dean. And it's such a time capsule of, of a rock and roll, isn't it? Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Well, I don't want to go over the old ground that we we tackled last time, but I will say uh, what I like most about the story, sorry, is that Mick Jagger got his comeuppance, if that part of the story is true, uh, of James Brown telling Mick Jagger, follow that, um, because he knows that 
you know, Jagger had been ripping off a lot of his moves. And and nobody did it better than the original hardest working man in show business. So, I mean, I, I look at that and I say, I, I hope that part of the story is true. I do know that, as you have said before in the past, that... Um, I think it, maybe it wasn't you, but somebody said that. I mean, didn't they? Didn't they regret doing it? I mean, wasn't it like many of the Stones performers were like that was a huge mistake to try and go on that stage? Sort of, but the interesting thing is the bands, everybody who participated, it was a package deal, and everybody got paid quite handsomely. In 1964 fees. What would be a 1964? Uh, I, think, I think every person involved, I'm talking every act, got yeah. 25 grand each. Wow. Now, they, they did surrender all the rights. Then. Wow. I'm talking about product, uh, television, sure. uh, movie exhibition. That is a ton of money back uh, then, it though. Was, it was put together by GAC, General Artist Corporation, kind of a, a, the booking agent. And so even, shall we say, um, the the other people on the band, the, the groups, besides the, you know, the, the Stones and James Brown and the Motown artists, so everybody got a nice payday, and here they are at the beach in Southern California, um, so I don't think anybody regretted anything about that. And sometimes when you have that baptism by fire, um, look, the Stones were, got to, I'm sure it helped fuel their rec records that they were recording at, on Sunset Boulevard at RCA right after that or when they did extra touring. And then the Stones, and by the way, Mick Jagger had, had watched Little Richard probably 30 times on a 1963 tour with the Everly Brothers, Don Peake and I were talking about this. So he was already looking at Ike and Tina Turner and Motown music and Little Richard. And, of course, you know, he went to the Apollo before or after to go see James Brown. But he's never hidden the fact that the, the, the influences he wore on his sleeve. And eventually he became his own performer after soaking up the the DNA of these legends. But, okay, let me, just fundamentally, since you know the Tammy show, and, and for people who don't, it's worth looking at, and it's worth looking into, because it's so fascinating. Uh, and did we ever agree in, on what exactly Tammy, T-A-M-I? Well, Teenage American Music International. Oh, God. That's right. kind of where it comes from. But I've interviewed the director, Steve Bender, a couple of times. But, you know... Because I know his history, and he went to L.A. High School, and he's another native Angelino. I mean, Steve had worked on a show called Jazz Scene USA in, like, 60 and 61. So his blocking techniques or his directorial style, it came from jazz and improv, but he also knew how lights were working, and he knew to bring in uh, the choreographer, David Winters and the and also Tony Basil, so there was choreography right. and dance and energy and impulse, and and also just, it was so well done. Plus, it was in a new kind of film stock called Electronavision, um, which was short lived. It's if you've ever seen the movie Harlow, it, it was kind yeah. of a different, a direct. It was sort of like you shoot it 
on video and then you put it back to like film. Oh, yeah. So it's a different kind of black and white film experience. It didn't last long due to it was kind of expensive. But that was something developed from radio state, TV station KTLA out here. So the film stock is even it plays a part again like I was talking earlier about the studios and room tone and the environmental right. aspect it even brings you in a little deeper maybe uh, I, although it's all been transferred now and, and highlighted on DVD and Blu-ray and it's a little different but right. it, it was not your traditional uh, shoot quick black and white concert footage of a rock and roll band and lip sync it really was a two and a half day kind of concert experience that we got to see in theaters, and quick, and then it disappeared for a long time because there was no video outlets, there was no um, v- right. VCRs, there was no DVDs. Then it came back, and now it's a, a really good discovery for anybody oh, it's who great. wants to see that era. But and to see Terry Gar right dancing in the background. Hello, with Tony Basil and, and Tony Basil. Yeah, Anita Mann's in there too. Oh, really? I mean, there's a. It was a thriving, throbbing Los Angeles experience, and it kind of bleeds into the things that Jack Good would do the following year uh, when he brought a shindig on television. Right. I mean, it all comes from. Yeah, I can day. see that. You can all right, see but, the correlation. But. Is it not true then, though, that the Stones insisted on going last, and that that's what the regret is? Is that they they should have been more respectful of James Brown and the energy that he brought to a stage, regardless, as you say, whether or not there was an hour's gap for resetting cameras and lights or whatever. That they recognize, even if the story's not true about. You know, James Brown passing Mick Jagger in the wings, saying to him, "Yet yeah, go on top that." Um, that it was still a that was still the Stones' choice that they were the last act, and and as maybe at the time they feel like they hadn't they really hadn't earned that yet. Well, you know, it part of me agrees with you. It part of me bends to. Jack Nietzsche, the musical director who knew the Rolling Stones and right. brought them in and said to Steve Bender, they're hot, they're going to be huge, they do roots music. And I, I think Jack told me more than once, he suggested or determined the order because he, he knew, let's start it off with some surf music or pop vocal, you know, right. Jan and Dean, let's take everybody through some other English groups early on, Jerry and the Pacemakers, Billy J. Kramer. Let's let the Motown artists, whether it be the Supremes or, or of course, Marvin Gaye, let's let Chuck Berry kick it off pretty early to, to set up the Stones and Chuck Berry as their ancestral godfather. Right. I think Jack really set it up that way. The Stones and management and their record label probably didn't have the clout or power in 1964 to demand this kind of stuff. I think it just kind of worked out that way. But Jack Nietzsche saw the promise of the Rolling Stones very early. And, you know, he probably liked to put them into a baptism by fire thing. And by the time they played the show and it was taped, and by the time... They started playing 
they took off. And, and Jack Nietzsche's told me in two different books, when the Stones appeared, it was a new type of emotion. Now, I don't yeah. know if he was comparing or contrasting James, you know, James's gig. And right. James was otherworldly. But the Stones at least held their mud pretty much yeah. that it was not a disaster. And I think as we look at it now, I'm just glad we have Brian Jones on screen and we can see that original band right. at that moment. Not stoned out of his mind like he was doing Sympathy you. for the Devil or whatever. It was that other thing that he was. you could see him Very, in. Where he was quite passive, shall Yeah, <laughs> let's just say he was passive. Um Okay, so that's the Tammy show. Do you have photos in this book, Rolling Stones icons from that period? I didn't. Uh, I know there's 1964 photos, but there right. um, there was probably some rights issues where yeah. um, they couldn't license some things. But there are you know pictures from 1964, and there are you know pictures from the Rock and Roll Circus and and you know some of their television appearances. But I think what happened with this book, and it happens largely, I think, with the Stones, is we are, maybe you and I are a bit different and some odd people in, in your listenership, somehow most of the Stones' photos end up being live stage shots. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, as opposed to, I, because photographers and studios, um, you know, for, they, there weren't people weren't taking a lot of pictures of rock and roll bands in studios in '64. They might have been a set person or somebody right. aligned with with a television station. Nobody was carrying a lot of their own photographers in that '63 '64 world. That's why we're very grateful when we see early Motown yeah. acts and some of those people because you don't see tons of the photos then. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Infinity Presents, a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Martha Stewart, the original influencer. When I think about anything, I think about the way that she did it first. The media mogul. Five to six years ahead, she saw what was coming. The prisoner, the rise, the fall, and the reinvention of an American icon. Once Martha paved the road, everybody else pretty much copied her. A CNN original series, The Many Lives of Martha Stewart, now streaming on Max. 